guys, it's Melissa. Since we're an independent podcast, your support means the absolute world, whether that's on social media, in a podcast review, or a word of mouth recommendation. If you've been enjoying this podcast and would like to take it a step further, I now have a support feature where you can contribute a one-time donation at whichever price you'd like. Click the link in the episode description to learn more. Thanks, guys. Now enjoy the show. The Sisterhood of the Bottomless Mimosa. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Mimosa Sisterhood Podcast. This is your host, Melissa, and we are back for another episode of Women and Wine. And I'm stoked because this episode, we have a really, 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 really cool theme that we're doing today. Probably one of the coolest things we've ever done yet on the podcast. And I have an awesome guest who is basically a professional in this theme. (laughs) So I'm very excited. Uh, But before I introduce her, I just wanted to remind you guys that if you have been enjoying this podcast and you love our episodes and you love learning about women in history and wine, please feel free to leave us a review. A five-star review and a comment review on Apple Podcasts goes a really, really, really long way. It's honestly one of the hugest things that can help us get more visibility, that could help us land on the front page of Apple Podcasts, and it's just an awesome way to show your support for the show. And let me know that you've been enjoying this podcast, because I've been enjoying creating it for you. So please be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Spotify and tell all your friends how fucking cool we are. I would love you forever. And with that said, let's introduce our next guest host, Callie Biggerstaff, and she's from the Circus Stories Podcast. Hello. Hello. (laughs) How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Of course. And this is basically the big reveal of our theme tonight. We're going circus style, which who doesn't (laughs) fucking love the circus? I mean, I like it. I think it's cool. I mean, there's it has some drawbacks, but you know, it's not no nobody's perfect. Yeah, and circus life is pretty gnarly, as far as I know. Yes. Um, but tell tell us about your podcast. I mean, I think the concept alone is awesome. I remember there was this one circus show that I used to watch on Showtime, and I can't remember what it's called now, but I was fucking obsessed with it. And they, I watched, like, six seasons of it, and then finally one day they just, like, canceled the show, and we got no ending and no resolution, and I was like, fuck you guys! Like, you can't leave me hanging like that! I've been here for six seasons! Oh my gosh! I know, but I got super invested into it, and I was, like, so obsessed, so when I stumbled across you and your podcast, I was like, hell fucking yeah, I can pick back up where I left off (laughs) and start living vicariously again through the circus world through your podcast so thank you oh my gosh you're so welcome and I take no credit for that also (laughs) Uh, so yeah tell us all about your show um so it's uh it's called Circus Stories podcast which Melissa said but um I along with my co-host Mark um we cover stories from circus history 
I will present a story to Mark, and he has no idea what it's going to be. And then um, we just kind of go through the story and discuss. And they're always real wacky and insane, and as circus is. And I think that the reason I wanted to do it is the circus has changed so much over the decades and centuries, really. And I think a lot of people don't know a, a anything about the circus or how it functions or how it's changed or much history about it. And it is not dying in a sense, but it's, it's going away at least the traditional circus. So I would love to keep the memory of it or the genesis of it alive and just educate people about it because it's such a unique stamp in time that I feel like in one generation later from now, it's people will have no idea about it at all because I've gone to a circus as a kid, and I'm not sure if you have, Melissa, but, like, I for sure have. And there's, I can't say the same for kids now at all. Yeah. Um, I actually, I was going to teeter into this later, but I think I'll just dive into it now because it's the perfect segue. But I actually have an incredible story about an experience as a child going to a circus and it's actually not incredible it could have been a horror story but it ended (laughs) up having a really fantastic ending so I'm going to tell you really quick because it's fucking ridiculous but basically when I was a kid my family and I were in Cabo San Lucas Mexico staying at a hotel like a nice resort you know on the beach And I was maybe three or four years old, and my parents were probably late 30s at that time. And my parents had, like, made friends with this couple that were also staying at the resort, and they had a little daughter, and she was my same age. And so my parents were, like, hanging out with this couple, and they were shooting the shit and, like, making friends. And the couple ended up saying to my mom, like, hey, um, we're going to be taking our daughter to a circus that's in town, and we'd like to take your daughter. And my mom was just like, fuck yeah, here she is. Pass me off over to this couple who was from Juneau, Alaska, who'd been known for no longer than three hours. (laughs) And I waltzed out of the resort headed downtown to a traveling circus that had just shown up for the day and i (laughs) was at the circus and something must have happened where like a few hours went by and my mother like woke up from her coma and was like what the fuck did I just do? And basically, like, jetted through town to find the circus and came, like, charging through the circus tent. And I was just sitting there (laughs) happy as a clam with, like, some little toy that I had. But she was, like, mid-anxiety attack thinking, like, holy shit, I just handed my daughter off to some complete stranger to go Mm -hmm. into Mexico to a traveling circus, and she's three. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, she's up on the tight wire. Totally fine. (laughs) Very well, chill. also, just, like, who are these people that just, like, also, waltzed me away, yeah. you, you know? You also uh, aided and abetted for kidnapping of your <laughs> own child, so that's fine. Yeah, so, needless to say, I survived and nothing happened to me, and I was totally fine, um, and we're still friends with those people today. Oh, my God. Really? <laughs> yeah. They're probably so, like, I'm so sorry that you allowed yeah. us to kidnap your child. <laughs> <laughs> 
well, they would have oh. taken care of you at the circus. The, oh, heck yeah. Well, so part of the reason why I started this podcast as well is my grandfather was um, a manager of Circus Vargas for oh, like wow. 10 years. But prior to that, he would do everybody's programs and like promotions so this was like in the 50s and 60s and there's no digital cameras right like it's film and so you would have to photograph everybody at the circus and then print the photos and then like create a program and so he has all this film of like a ton of different circuses from like the 50s to the 90s it's insane like the archive of photos he has of a bunch of circuses is bananas and my parents traveled with the circus when he was a manager because he did promotions and then he was a manager and then after he left being a manager he continued to do promotions but in the 70s he was a manager of circus vargas and my parents were like barely 20 and they weren't married yet but they hopped on the circus because my grandpa was the manager so my dad's like I'm gonna go there because my dad's or my, my dad's like the boss basically or kind of you know or a manager so they all hopped on the circus like a bunch of family members have like dipped in and out of the circus and so they all have these crazy stories crazy and like so I was just like I need to share <laughs> these yeah. these are nuts so are some of your episodes literally like documentation of what your family knew or experienced? Yeah, so I will tell, I'll always kind of like include a small story from my family at the mm-hmm. top of the episode if I can. <laughs> There's a lot of stories I'm like, I can't tell that story. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can't, That's uh, I can't do it. Um, but there's a lot of funny stories. Like, uh, like my mom got, my parents did concessions. They weren't like performers, but my grandma was a trapeze artist or my my step grandmother rather. But, uh, (laughs) but my parents would just, they have all these just like ridiculous stories of like customers and just traveling and like this kid stabbed my mom in the hand with an ice pick once <laughs> like what? because he wanted something for free. Um, like, what <laughs> the fuck? Who Circus are you life. people? <laughs> like, why not? Like, if you're going to get up on a giant animal with a huge headdress, why not smoke a joint? Oh right? my like, God, that's what? hysterical. Any, so, but when my mom was like 20 she started photographing circus stuff and she just became in like she just became enamored with that so she started photographing circus and then when I started shooting like photos in general I started photographing circus so now the like my grandfather my mom and I all have like this huge collection of circus like over the generations and it's kind of neat so that along with all these stories is kind of why I decided to do the podcast that's so cool and it's so unique and like what a cool little thing that your family has you know yeah, it's neat it's like most families don't have shit they're like we go to work and kids go to school and that's that and it's like well you know my family has <laughs> been like in the circus for well, generations i have a lot of friends that i don't tell this to right away and then like two years later i tell them and they're like hold on <laughs> what <laughs> why why haven't you ever told me this why and then they're upset at me i don't know oh because i'm not like we're not circus performers you know but there's so many hands that like there's so many people that make a circus happen um yeah so and 
here we are. So, well, I to stay on the theme of circus, I usually always review some type of alcoholic beverage before I get started, and I found the best bottle of all time, and it literally looks like some type of like chalice that like would have existed in like a castle at some point. Oh. But it's a Belgium ale, and it's called Delirium, and it literally has an elephant on the front of it. Oh, oh yeah, that's awesome. That looks right? like those pink elephants in Dumbo. <laughs> I, and it's it's like a beer that had one of those champagne corks, and it shot oh. off the top when I opened oh. it. Ooh, fun. Right? It's huge. It's that like is, gigantic. That is huge. It's like I challenge you to drink <laughs> yeah. me. And as if that wasn't enough, I'm pairing it with my Medieval Times mug. Oh, God. <laughs> I want to go. I've never been there. I hate, I hate that I've never been. I just... <sighs> my god it it haunts me really (laughs) well i bought my boyfriend uh, like i bought us for christmas medieval times tickets and it was part of his christmas present like two years ago and if anybody's listening and doesn't know what medieval times is it's it's basically what it sounds like it's like a big production a huge event where you pay tickets and you come into this arena and everybody's sitting in the stands and then like medieval dudes on horses come like charging through and they like poke each other off their horses and they do a bunch of different (laughs) games and they're basically like competing like we were in like a medieval world and the king and queen have like these jests or whatever they're called like fighting and they have bars inside medieval times so you can just start boozing at the bar before you go in It really does. I know. So, of course, I couldn't leave without getting us these, like, souvenir mugs. I mean, truly, everybody that leaves there is like, I want a mug. I want I want everything. Because you're all, like, shit-faced and you just are, like, ate, like, a bunch of turkey legs. Right. And you're just like, I'm so happy. But I, I want everything. say, I have not used this mug once what? Since we went to medieval times at least a year and a half ago, <laughs> and this is it. Yeah, I brought it back it. for our circus episode with my elephant beer, uh, and this is it. So it's funny. all come full circle. We're here. It's happening. That's so funny. Oh, so man. yeah, I'm I'm pretty excited about it. And this beer is pretty bomb. I really really like Belgium ales. They're like a like a wheat beer kind of. They have a little bit of a spice to them. Um, but they're very light. They aren't super hoppy. And if you enjoy just like a nice, flavorful, spicy, light beer, not spicy, like a jalapeno spicy, but more like, like, a a cinnamon type of a spicy, like, a like a holiday sort of flavor. Um, but I love a Meg situation. Yeah. Yeah. It has like a little bite to it, but it's like a sweet, spicy bite. I like that. That So yeah, it's delirium and... The brewery is called Family Brewery. I guess they've been slanging beers since 1654. Wow. According to the bottle. Yeah, That's 1654. definitely su- well suited for medieval times mug. <laughs> right? That's what yes. I'm saying. So 100%. I'm going I'm to post a picture of this online because this fucking beer bottle is no joke. <laughs> oh, that's, I mean, it might as well be absinthe. It's just right? like you're going to trip the fuck out if you drink this whole bottle. I know. It's hilarious. I love it. Oh, so wow. I'm super stoked on that. I don't know if you have anything in that you're drinking tonight. 
I am. I'm drinking uh, wine that my friend Cassie left here. <laughs> um, Perfect. It's uh, it's red wine. It's rain cloud. And um, I looked at the bottle in preparation for this. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> it's red wine. And that's all I know. Perfect. It's, two, it's 2018. <laughs> yes. I that's all I know. It's Listen, delicious. <laughs> I, I'm sure that the people of the circus throwing it back to the old medieval times would be very proud of our red wine, which I'm sure mm. they drank gallons of, of, of and our elephant beer. So yeah. yes, we're indeed. doing it. We're doing it good. We are. We are. It's true. We are, we're right. nailing it. We are nailing it. This is off to a good start. Shall I? Shall I go? First? Yeah, yeah. Tell us all about your circus lady of the evening. I cannot uh, wait to hear all about her because I don't know really any like major figures in like a circus industry. I guess if that's even the term to use. Yeah, yeah, fair, fair. I mean, it's interesting because uh, I try to cover just really crazy stories in general and a lot of them are women and you're just like mm-hmm. oh like duh <laughs> of course of course they are because they're amazing it's uh <laughs> it's insane but a lot of the stories on women in the circus they just are radical and obviously you know um so i'm going to tell you guys about rosa matilda richter who is better known by her stage name uh, which is Zazzle. Ooh. And if I'm sure not a lot of people have heard about her at all, but um, she didn't get that stage name until later in life, but I'm just going to refer to her as Zazzle for clarity. But uh, Zazzle is best known for being the world's first recorded human cannonball <laughs> in, in 1877. And she was shot into the air at the Royal Aquarium, which is a venue. It's like a theater in London. And she was only 14 years old when this happened. Oh, my God. Um, but her, she's done so much more than that. And she's really badass. But I'll give you like some background on her. So she's born in London in 1863. Um, when she was, her parents were like kind of in circus. Her dad was like a animal dealer briefly. Her mom was a dancer in the circus. And... So when you grow up in the circus, oftentimes, and if your family's involved in the circus, you just automatically learn circus stuff. Like that's just, Mm -hmm. it's generational. Always you just, it's just passed on like down to you. So naturally she started to learn circus, like trades, basically like learning tightrope. She had to learn how to fall properly uh, she's like five years old when she starts learning this stuff, which is a lot Whoa. of like a lot of kids start learning that like any kind of circus stuff when they're about that age, which is wild to me. But um, so she starts like learning tightrope. She starts learning ballet when she's about five. Um, then she moves on to doing more like uh, like difficult things like trapeze. And then when she's about 11, after she's honed all of her skills, she's super athletic and and just truly, like, fearless. So she's 11, and she gets a lot of, like, teachings. She, she gets teachings from these two guys, the Levante brothers, and so they help her hone her trapeze skills. Um, but when she's 11, she starts performing 
what's called the leap for life, which she would quite literally like leap <laughs> like super far. So she would start at like the top of like an, an arch of like, you know how there's a big theater and then there's an orchestra pit and then there's the big arch at the top. Yep. So she would start at that arch and then she would just dive down into a wow. net like 90 Whoa. feet and she's like 11. not even like attached to anything just no she just start there yeah and just dive down like Whoa. swan dive basically so she'd like puff her chest out and she would just like swan dive down and like you know sometimes she'd like do a somersault and stuff but like people are like oh shit <laughs> like she's small she's 11 years old and she's just jumping into this net really far wow. um which is insane she started to be contracted out from uh, circus troops. So the Siamese troupe had her tour with them. She's touring to Dublin, to Marseille, to Toulouse. She's 12, P.S. Um, and it, but in Toulouse, she falls during performance, and she's injured. And her father it like, is like, hey, we... <laughs> she's 12 and like she's falling off shit so yeah. like can we not do these crazy performances anymore um but her mother who is more involved in circus as a performer is like it's fine she's fine this is like it part of it you know also at this point her parents have become separated and so sazzle goes to live with her mom so her father's like kind of his <laughs> he's saying she can't do this stuff but she she's with her mom so his they're like falling on deaf ears basically because she's Mm -hmm. just like no she's gonna do it she likes it and he's just like cool well she keeps falling (laughs) so it's not the best yeah Um, so this is like a point of contention between the parents her safety um and he's just keeps pleading with the wife Susanna, but she's just like whatever she's gonna keep doing it um so zazzle continues to perform she meets this man he, his name's William Hunt, but he goes by the great Farini. Uh, and he has an insane mustache. Like, <laughs> the mustache is like an inch past his face. It's like, it's fucking insane. It's like insane. in width or like length? Length. Like, <laughs> like it's like past his cheeks, an inch on either side. And oh straight. God. Like it doesn't curl like you would picture. Like it's just straight. Oh, like God. It's, he's just... He looks so insane. Um, he looks like a villain, basically. He looks like he should be robbing a train. Um, he's just crazy looking. So they meet this man, and he invented this spring-loaded projectile. And he's just like, hey, I want her to do this thing. She's perfect. She already jumps off this giant arch and like falls into a net. She knows how to fall properly. And she's petite enough and i have this new apparatus he he patented it like whatever he and he never let anybody forget like i invented this this Mm -hmm. is mine i invented it and everyone's like cool we got it cool we see your mustache cool we got it (laughs) excellent so but so basically the thing that he invented is called a projectile where it's like a giant spring and on top of it, it's like a platform where the person stands and then you pull the spring back and then it just like launches that person. And then there eventually would be like a mortar that would, was built around it, which is the cannon that you, everybody is familiar with today, or some people are, <laughs> but it's like, that's the human cannonball machine that everyone has seen now. 
Well, so, quick question. How sure. did they, did somebody, did humans pull the spring back or how did they get mm-hmm. it to like pull back and then launch? He, yeah, he actually would have to pull it back oh, and okay. then release it. That's wow. how this particular thing worked. Yeah. Okay. Um, and a lot of people think that cannons, like these human cannonball acts, the person's shot out by like gunpowder and that's mm-hmm. not real <laughs> because that would blow your legs off yeah. <laughs> um but they would like have pyrotechnics around the cannon to give that effect okay. but it, there was never like actual powder in the cannons because that would make your legs Kill explode you. <laughs> yeah <laughs> but that's no good um so and Farini had his son-in-law initially doing this act before he went to zazzle because he was petite and he could fit inside this thing but and it worked for a little bit but he would have his son-in-law dress like a woman and then one day he was performing and the dude fell and then like i don't know if it's like junk fell out but like everyone was like oh he's a he's a dude he's not a girl and they're like oh the jig is up we can't do this anymore like uh we got it we're moving on like everyone just oh found out he's not God. a lady so that is um, hysterical yeah it's pretty ridiculous so he was just like all right we got to pack it up and <laughs> find somebody else <laughs> uh so but farini sucks and he's like i'm gonna go to zazzle but what he had done was he had already asked zazzle's dad like two years prior and was like hey I have this machine. Can I stick her in it? And he's like, no. <laughs> um, but like two years after now, she's about 13. He goes to the mom and is like, hey, I have this thing and like w- uh, this really crazy act and I want to have her do it. And the dad's no longer around. And so she's like, okay, I'll have the dad sign off on it. And like, we'll tell him it's, she's going to be like dancing or something. Mm-hmm. And so the dad, Ernst, and Susanna, the mother, they both, like, signed this contract with this guy, Mustache Farini, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> then they are, like, in this contract to work with Farini and have Zazzle apprentice under him and do this whole cannonball act, and then the dad finds out, and he's just like, fuck, that's, I said no to you so long ago, and now I hate you, <laughs> like, you suck, so... She's kind of stuck, like, Zazzle's stuck doing this act, but she's fine with it. Susanna, her mom's fine with it, um, and the dad's pissed. <laughs> and he's just like, well, she doesn't live with me. This sucks. Um, I hate, I hate that guy. So, so Farini is having her, like, kind of streamline this act for him. She's 13, and they are basically, he's teaching her how to, be stiff in that mortar in that barrel because the the danger of and this is like a danger with anybody that's doing a human cannonball is like you have to be super stiff in there but then once you shoot out of it then you have to be loose enough when you fall into a net because if you're not loose in the net like much like when people are in acts like car accidents and if you brace when you hit something it like you'll incur more injuries versus if you're loose then you won't incur as many injuries. So that's the same kind of thing when you are falling into a net. Once you're, like, leaping or diving Mm -hmm. into it, you need to be loose. But she also uh, needs to be stiff within the mortar, like, within the barrel, because if she isn't and doesn't go straight up, she'll just smash into the side, (laughs) you know? So it's, like, very, very dangerous. 
Um, and on top of that, she's you know practicing tightrope as well and trapeze as well. So they get the act together, and <laughs> he's still just paying her food and clothes, and then eventually he starts paying Susanna, the mother, like a few pounds every week, which is like 70 bucks a week, really. Like, it shakes out to that. And when they were performing on her own, like when Zazzle was performing previously, when before she linked up with him, she would earn like 120 pounds a week, which is like oh, wow. 3,400 bucks. So it's like, what? Why are you doing this? Like, yeah. Um, it's insane. And then what's also crazy is that when you leap out, or sorry, when you're pushed out of the cannon and you immediately have to be loose you but you also have to like look for your net like granted they test the cannon but like you still have to find your target but they figure it out and um on april 10th 1877 she's 14 and she appears before like a huge audience at the royal aquarium in westminster in london and that's when she is recorded to have performed it the very first time so she climbs into Farini's apparatus to waves of applause. And she's fired out of Farini's spring-style cannon, and she travels approximately 20 feet into um, the air and lands into a net. Over time, the distance would eventually increase to 60 feet. As her, Whoa. At, yeah, it's like a lot. Um, she's crazy. She's but she's awesome. So she develops a routine. So she would leap through the air like her leap for life. And then she'd be shot out of the cannon. Um, and then she would do her uh, tight wire. And she would do trapeze. Like, she would do all of these things within Was she, like, the star act. of the show? She eventually, yeah, was, like, a headliner for sure. Yeah. Because she, she wow. could do all these things. Like, she was yeah. insane. So she would continue this act and this performance for another two years. And by 1879, she allegedly performed the human cannonball over 1,000 times consecutively to more than 2 million spectators. Farini continues to manage Zazzle and heavily promotes the amazing and perilous Zazzle act, but he also continues to take the profits from the exhibition and pay Zazzle and her mother, Susanna, like a measly few pounds a week, which is like a fraction of the profits altogether, which added up to close to 200 pounds a week, which is significantly more (laughs) than what they were getting. Wow. Um, Yeah, it's insane. Like, they're just getting ripped off. But, like, Susanna was fine with it. And Zazzle's 14 years old, so she Mm -hmm. doesn't know what's happening. Like, she's just like, whatever. I like doing what I'm doing, you know? Like, I'm getting paid and whatever. It's wild. And also, like, what else? It's like, it's 1879, Mm-hmm. What else is she going to do? You know what I mean? Like, this is all... It's like, what she's, is she... Mm. She's going to sew clothing. Right. Like, she's going to work in a factory or, like, sew clothes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just like, Bleh. So, I don't know. She's She liked it. So, I guess that's just where, where they're going with it. Um, but her dad's, like, pissed. And he's just constantly worried about her. And so, in 1879, that same year, Zazzle suffers yet another fall. So when she's leaping out of the cannon, she falls into her net, but the net didn't catch her because it was rotting underneath. Oh, no. So she falls into the net, and it just disintegrates underneath her. Oh, no. Which is like, what a surprise. <laughs> like, how's that? That's horrible. Um, so she falls. She does injure herself, but and she doesn't break any bones, but she's too injured to perform the next day. 
There's decent press covering this incident, however, and as her act was highly publicized already, and it got, like, a lot of press, so when this happened, people were like, and this happened, can you believe it? <laughs> like, that's fucked up. So, um, and she's barely 16, so that it was also giving attention to the matter, the fact that she's so young. And then, <laughs> following that, she, there's, like, a series of accidents happening. So then th- this incident's happened, she falls another time when she's in Portsmouth, um, and the, this article from The Citizen, this paper in London, it says, if the public demands such sickening exhibitions and the law and licensors permit them with the proviso of a precaution implied in the net, then most certainly it is a bound duty of those in authority to see that the precaution is a reality and not a farce. These children, who are reared on excitement and fed on applause, have a claim to our protection. Like, they're like... <laughs> Uh, you guys can't put nets with holes in them. <laughs> like, yeah, um, that's not cool. Like, if you guys are advertising crazy acts, like the net should work. <laughs> you well, know, also, like, like who's the manager of the circus? Like, how are you not on top of something like that? Like, what? Right? Yeah. Also, also that. My God. Like, just, fired. Yeah. <laughs> circus accidents is like, yeah. Yikes. It's so moist there in London. It's like everything's <laughs> rotting. It's, it's insane. Oh, God. So they're just basically like, get it together. Stop letting her fall through shit. Like, God. Mm-hmm. So in December that same year, she falls again performing trapeze in Chatham, Kent. Because all of her acts, she has like four acts. So like, and they're all like high up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like she all, and no net in a lot of like, the the human cannonball has a net, but like the high wire, she doesn't have a net. And trapeze, she would, but like it's just it's nuts. So so she falls in December, and she basically she misses her hold while she's doing trapeze. And the New York Clipper, a paper in New York, reports that when she fell, she yells, "I'm killed! I'm killed!" before she. <laughs> Before she's carried off, uh, like, out of the ring when she's performing. And then, she, but apparently she's not seriously injured, so she returns 30 minutes later to complete her trapeze act. I don't think that was her choice. <laughs> like, someone was like, get back in there, kid. Do it. Yeah, like, <laughs> like, dust, dust off your shoulders. You got this. Like, insane. So, <laughs> with yet another accident, this prompts more questions about child safety in performing arts. So this is now getting attention from the Home Secretary of Britain, which is like, like that's like the Home Secretary of State in, of, to Her Majesty, you know. Mm-hmm. And also the public's like, where are your parents? <laughs> They're like, who's in charge of you? And her dad's like, I am trying. And her mom does not care. <laughs> like, I'm trying to do shit. Nobody. And also this guy swindled me. And I feel like that's illegal. But I don't know how. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. um, so he's just like, I'm trying. And I don't know what to do. Um, but the public's interest doesn't die down. And so because the public's pressure is so great by February of 1880, there's a bill that's called the Acrobats and Gymnasts Bill, and that was presented to the House of Commons. So there was a concern that this, like, verbiage was too much of, like, gray, of a gray area and that ordinary gymnasts and acrobats would be prevented 
to continue it and be like lumped up into this bill. So the bill became stagnant because at the time it was like Zazzle's act was a, like a catalyst to this bill. There was another performer, which I've covered in an episode and her name was Miss Lala and she would perform the iron jaw, which is holding like the weight of items or people by your mouth. What? Yeah. It's like a whole other thing. <gasps> oh so, my God. So those kinds of acts, they're like, well, it's like there's five people that this really applies to, but we can't just be like, you guys can't. <laughs> like, right? Oh, you know, so they're just like, I don't know how to enact this bill. So it kind of just sat there for a little bit. Um, but it was still like of note and they're still like, well, we got to figure it out. But it just kind of sat there for a minute. So realizing she's truly putting her life on the line and becoming more confident in her business dealings, she starts asking for more money from Farini. And he's just like, no. <laughs> like, immediately he's just like, mm, uh, I'm, no. <laughs> like, he's such a dick. And then, so when he says no to her, when she asks for more money, he, he says no, but he's also, like, secretly training other Zazzles to, like, replace her. Four. He has four what? of them. Just, like, backup ran- Zazzles? Yeah, backup Zazzles and, like, all over London because he's just like ah she's getting wise you know he's just like shit he's he and his mustache just need they need a time somebody just needs to shave that thing already yeah in his sleep (laughs) sorry he should that's not nice but still still it's not nice I mean he's just hi yay yay so she's like at her wits end and with all this press and the parliament and Farini She's just like, I'm, ugh, I'm over this. And she's the star of the show. Like, and she takes all the physical risks. Risks. Oh, yeah. And so, but the show and the name Zazzle, like, th- those were his, technically. And he always made it known that it was his. Like, he would, he would make ads and postings and, like, put them up that's, like, usage. But, like, I'm licensing this show, but it's my show. Like, and make postings about it. It's, like, licensed buy whatever show but it's mine it's like cool we got it weirdo like make no mistake it's my show he was probably like subtly annoyed that like he ran this business but he wasn't the star of the act right like he was like probably like low-key bitter that (laughs) you know all these other people in his show were getting so much stardom and he had to feel like well i got it like don't forget they wouldn't be here if it wasn't for me right like always getting his little like last two cents in right he's like your applause is my applause (laughs) to me (laughs) (laughs) so with this continued like stress on her she's just like i want to go um so around this time, P.T. Barnum hears about her because she's just like so famous and she's doing rad stuff. So he travels to London to check her out and he loves it because it's like brand new. No one's ever done it before. So he asks her to join his circus and she's like, oh, yeah, oh, 100%. <laughs> I would love to leave here. Um, but Farini's like nervous because parliament's still discussing all this stuff and so he's like that may affect me i may not be able to work if they decide this bill passes that may fuck up my stuff so he strikes a deal with barnum and is like this is my machine so like (laughs) you know what like i should go with it and so barnum's like okay like you seem like a smarmy guy and i like smarmy people because barnum is very smarmy um 
And so he brings them on for their 1880 season, both Sazzle and Farini. And Farini's listed in their show notes as a cannoneer. So he's just like releases men <laughs> yeah he just like releases the lever and that's it it's like spring dude yeah he's got like cool i put i push a button and that's how i do like, oh we, we we couldn't survive without you thank you my god so despite this rising tension between zazzle and farini concerning the amount she's paid they both go to the u.s to join barnum circus so while she's at Barnum Circus, she meets and marries their press agent, this guy, George Oscar Starr. And they head back to Europe because they're like, we're newly married. Let's go take a year off. And so 1882, she's just like, I want to not do this anymore. <laughs> so her husband's like, we can do something else. Like, let's just do something else. So they open an opera company. Oh, yeah. She's like, an amazing singer also wow like she well, of course yeah i mean i feel like you like i feel like if you're like somebody that's in the stardom like that you have to just be like good at everything she's it's insane and it's like alleged that she would when she performed her tight wire she would like sing when she was doing it like she's just incredible so by 1884 the couple's managing this radical opera company so they do this for a couple years, but then in 1888, uh, her husband is offered a position as the manag- managing director of Barnum & Bailey. So he's just like, that's some good money. Let's go back. <laughs> oh, so, shit. Well. So she's like, okay, all right. So they both decide to reenter circus life. Now she's only 25, and so she's like, okay, I can. it's fine. Like, she likes it, you know, and she'll get paid well. Um, and Farini's like gone now and out of the picture because after four years of them doing their own thing, he's moved on. Thank God. My God. Thank God. This guy is insane. What an insane person. So the two of them uh, go back to Barnum Circus and she continues to por- perform her Leap for Life where she just jumps and leaps into a net. She performs her tight wire, the human cannonball, and which has infiltrated most all circuses at that point. Um, and her trapeze as well. What's rad is during the same time, it's noted that between 1889 and 1891, she also began using her expertise and experience to educate the public and public safety workers about the usefulness and potential of safety nets. So so she demonstrated... uh, like how to use these nets by leaping out of a four-story building onto a net that was held taut by firemen to show how nets could be used as a safety and life-saving device, namely as a means of escaping from a burning building. So she had advocated uh, for the use of these nets as a lifesaver, and she brought up a number of issues for safety for those living in high-rise buildings and simply just wanted to pass on that knowledge to her fellow man so she would do these demos for people and like have like street clothes on and like a hat on and a dress and all this stuff and just jump and just show people like hey like you can do this and like jump down and it will save your life and this will save people's life like you we should be doing these things Mm -hmm. (laughs) so that's why we jump into soft stuff like yeah we crazy yeah so i mean yeah we jump into those bags or whatever but like that's how they started is they're just like jump into this thing that's so cool <laughs> yeah i thought i mean i was just like wow you're excellent <laughs> like thank you <laughs> um 
So in October 1891, she's touring with a circus called Fourpaw, the Fourpaw Circus, this gentleman, Adam Fourpaw. And they're in Las Vegas, New Mexico. So she's getting ready to perform her tight wire. And how it's rigged is the line of the tight wire is linked at one end of the circus tent. And then it meets in the middle of the tent where her platform is supposed to be. And the platform is held up by two poles that are in a V, that like an inverted V. And so they're supposed to be bound together, um, like braced together in the center. But this day, like they weren't braced. And so when she got on the platform, she was like, uh, yo, you guys didn't put the brace on to hold these things together at like, you know, towards the center to like secure this, these two poles, like, yeah, they'll hold on their own, but like not with like bouncing and stuff like that's not going to (laughs) help me at all. Um, so she like kind of looks at her rigging guys and is like, Hey, like gives them like a face, like you guys need to fix this. And they think she's like, tighten the slack on my line. So they like pull at it and she, she just like falls off the platform. Ooh. And so she falls on the ground, but she's kind of okay. But then the poles fall on her. (gasps) So one falls on her back and like, so she's tossed up in the air when they pull and she falls. And then, then this one just falls straight on her back and like they're huge, huge metal poles. Mm -hmm. Like it would just like crush you. I mean, not completely, but just it would crush your back. So the crowd's like freaking out. Kids are screaming. Women are fainting because she's just like smashed by this pole. And so when they finally lift the poles from off of her, she's picked up and carried out. One of the men said it's a, it it was impossible to bend her straight. And it's like, first of of all, don't, don't do that. Like, don't try to bend her at all. Like, um, don't like, don't touch her. Obviously you're not a doctor (laughs) because bend her straight is not a medical term. Um, I don't know why anybody's touching her, but, uh, so, but any movement, she screams in agony and she had definitely broken her back. So this accident effectively retired her from circus and she's like, she's like not even, she's like 28 at this point. She's young. So she spent several months in a suspended full body cast and she, and she receives like immediate attention and then is taken back to New York. And then she has to be in that body cast and, she has to like rehab for a long time but she doesn't go back to circus at all however she would continue to be outspoken about safety and safety nets for public life savings so she that was kind of like her focus moving on and her husband continued to be a press agent and make money that way which was fine for them um yeah and he retired from the circus business in 1906 then the two moved back to Europe and they lived in a home in Upper Norwood in London and then, or, you know, the UK near London. Um, and she remained there with him up to and after her husband passing away in 1915. So after he passed away, she is said to enjoy her later years, like play, she would gamble a lot, playing roulette. <laughs> I was like, 
She's kind of rad. Um, <gasps> she's uh, and she would be like a, a she was a fixture in the circus community and would pop up at, at circuses, you know, here and there because she was just like a legend. She was yeah such a rad chick. But she died on December eighth, nineteen thirty seven, at the Camberwell House Hospital in Peckham. And what's really sad is that this hospital is listed as more of like a hospital for paupers or like, you know, it's like, um, it's like a place where people with no family have to go. Oh but, no. And I was like, that's the saddest shit I've ever heard. Cause she didn't have any kids or anything or like their family weren't around anymore. So that that's is so sad. I know. I was like, that's so sad. Um, so I wanted to just list all of these amazing titles that she did have when she was, you know, at the height of her career. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I think that's how she should be remembered and is still. So she was billed as Zazzle the Daring, Zazzle the Graceful, Zazzle the Champion of the World, Zazzle the Only Lady Gymnast, Zazzle the Human Cannonball, and Zazzle the Wonder of the World. So wow. yeah, those are all fantastic names. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's like a pioneer and a daredevil and a champion for the people, and all like effortlessly beating her own drum. And so, for all those reasons, I think she's definitely a circus legend for sure. Absolutely! Oh my yeah. god, I love her. Yeah, she's y- radical. You know what's really crazy is that her and my woman lived in the exact same time period Ooh. and probably crossed paths. I'm so stoked on Zazzle. That is such a cool woman. Yeah. I I mean, I I don't I mean, if you don't know much about circus history, you probably would never have known anything about her, but what a remarkable woman, especially in the fact that she pretty much coined the like fireman jumping out of burning windows deal right right i love like that's my favorite <laughs> well also she's probably like up on this building and she's like look watch like watch me it's super easy and right she's, like, and like, like cartwheels like, off a building right <laughs> and these grown men are holding a net and they're like okay you you do it <laughs> we'll watch <Yeah>. you <laughs> Wow, uh, that's super, super cool. Yeah. Um, did you happen to, like, find any info on, like, if sh- she, like, if her reasoning behind, like, not having children had anything to do with just her wanting to be, like, a performer and be, you know, in the circus world? Or, like, did anything come up in that research? You know, I didn't see anything of as to why. Um, it didn't really say as to why. I mean, I would imagine... I mean, this is me speculating, but oftentimes it's, well, that's not true. I was, I was going to say that traveling is kind of hard to um, uh, bring a kid along with that. But like, man, people mm-hmm. have kids in the circus all the time. So I don't yeah. know. I mean, who knows, really? Well, I only ask because the woman that I cover lived a similar lifestyle and she also didn't have children. And so I was just curious if there was some type of correlation in mm-hmm. like, these you know really high profile performers during this time period and if that sort of played a role in them not having children because i feel like especially in this time period people are popping out babies left and right right (laughs) yeah it's kind of like for a woman you know to go through her whole life and that not be something that occurred i i usually feel like that was a preventative decision that was made but who knows yeah, I feel like you, well, you tell me who your person is, because I'm so curious. I'm covering somebody who did definitely 
um, partake in the circus world for a period of her career. However, it wasn't predominantly circus related, but I am covering Annie Oakley. Yeah, I knew it. Okay, cool. <laughs> How did you know? Because, so, because, I'll tell you, well, I'll tell you why, sidebar, and uh, because, because you texted what you texted me, and I was like, film career? What is she talking about? I don't understand. Uh, and then we... <laughs> We we just did that episode Tuesday. Did you really? <laughs> yes, and I was just like I so I was learning about it when you and I were talking about it. We both were like, we haven't done anything, <laughs> and then I read it. And I was like, oh, I bet you this is who she's doing. <laughs> but, oh my god! But I'm so curious because I I I don't know. I mean, like I I'm I don't know. Our stuff could be totally different, but I'm so curious. It's probably pretty on board, which honestly is even better because then you could also provide a lot of insight or different areas that maybe I don't cover. Yeah. Because there are a few things that I left out just to make sure that I like streamlined it the best that I can. Please chime in and bring me more of your insight on certain of these items because I would love I, to hear. I'm some sure of you did you so much better than I did. I, no. I guarantee it. <laughs> oh, let's, I'm so curious, though. Uh, yes, let's hear about her. Okay, so Annie Oakley, and for just so everybody knows, I actually didn't know who Annie Oakley was at all. Amazing. Um, I'd never heard of her before, so I learned about her brand new throughout the past couple of days. So for anybody else like me who doesn't know who Annie Oakley is, she was a legendary sharpshooter in the Buffalo Bills Wild West show, and she's considered to be the first female star in America. And I wouldn't be surprised if Zazzle is considered the first female star in the UK. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because Zazzle seems pretty, you know, large and in charge in that exact same time period. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, they their timelines coincide quite a bit now that Very, I think about it. They're almost they were almost born, I think, in the exact like maybe a couple years apart. So just yeah. like Zazzle, wow, Annie yeah. Oakley was not born Annie Oakley. She was born Phoebe. I didn't even write her whole name down because I was like, I'm calling her Annie Oakley throughout this whole entire yes. presentation. <laughs> um but she was born in eighteen sixty. And I think that's right around the time that Zazzle was born. And she was born in Dark County, Ohio. And her parents were Quakers of English descent. And Annie was the sixth of nine children born, but only the fifth out of seven that survived. Which I feel like is just such a common theme during the 1800s. I know. It's oh, like, God. it's like, uh, it's luck around the family. Like, let's hope somebody <laughs> oh, lives, you know? God, yeah. And so when she was five years old, her father went out to a mill about 14 miles away during a blizzard. And when he finally made it back home around midnight, he had like frozen solid hands. He was like all fucked up, couldn't speak. And he was suffering from hypothermia. And so he ended up never recovering from hypothermia and he died shortly after that. And then sadly, without him being there to sort of be like the breadwinner of the family they lost their farm her mother was left to care for like all these freaking kids and then obviously they fell like very deep into severe poverty and so to like tr sort of help the family situation annie's mom made the decision to i guess send her away to well maybe you can help me out on this 
they sent her away to a place called the County Poor Farm. Like, what is that? I like. I was like, uh, why would you do that? You just send her away. They're like, you just go to the infirmary and just live there with the orphans. Like, there's yeah. like, send, send her to an orphanage because we can't handle you right now because you're a teenager and you eat too much. I don't understand. Like, yeah. Well, so that's what I was wondering. I'm like, what the fuck is a County Poor Farm? But I guess that makes sense. It was probably just like where they sent. Mm-hmm. poor people if not poor children to just live because they had nowhere else to go and so that's what happened they basically sent annie over to this farm and she was technically hired from the farm to live as like a, a helper for a nearby family um and the the annie's mom figured that like if they were to send her off to you know start working for another family then it would be like one less mouth to feed and the rest of the family would have a better chance at surviving so unfortunately shit hit the fan at the county poor farm (laughs) and uh annie got dealt a really really raw deal and she ended up basically with this family who had like promised her an education and that they were going to be like paying her weekly but they didn't do either of those things and they basically kept her as a slave in their home and so she like went through a lot of really severe mental and physical abuse they threw her out in the freezing cold without shoes they locked her in closets um they treated her like absolute shit and she lived in those conditions for two years of her life and so as i'm sure you know she referred to this family as wolves and i find it super remarkable because at no point in her entire life did she ever reveal who these people were she for whatever reason kept it a secret so their identities have remained completely anonymous she never came forward to anybody about like the horrible abuse that she well she came forward about it but she never was like yo it was that shithole family over there around fucking you know christmas lane that (laughs) abused me for years um I don't know. So that's really interesting. But she referred to them as the wolves and she eventually escaped the wolves, uh, slipping into a crowded railroad car and making it back home. But when she got home, her mom was like, wait, I still can't take care of you. Like, (laughs) I'm so happy you escaped. But like, we're still poor and I can't feed you. (laughs) So she went back to the county poor farm and then was able to find work as a seamstress, which is the exact comment that I made to you about Zazzle. You're like, what would Zazzle do if she wasn't in the circus? I'm like, she'd probably be sewing clothes. (laughs) (laughs) Which is literally exactly what I pulled out from this story. That's so funny. You have a ton of details that I don't know already. (laughs) So I'm like, you're telling me, you're telling me. I don't even know it. Um, okay, so then around 15, Annie basically was like, all right, enough's enough with this poverty shit. Like, we're over it. And so instead of going to school, she ended up taking her dad's rifle and, like, head into the woods and was going to start hunting as a means to support the family by, like, selling the, the meat that she was hunting. And so it turned out that she had a really good fucking shot, and she was able to sell a ton of her game to the local townspeople, hotels, general stores, restaurants, and she was, at this point, making, like, a full-time living with her gun. And she ended up becoming the breadwinner of the family, and she was able to pay off the mother's farm's mortgage, which cost $200 at the time that they could not afford. And she paid it off with her profits. So 
she literally saved her family's lives at 15 years old after she had endured two years of like severe abuse and she was literally in like a fight or flight moment you know her dad was gone the family was suffering she'd just been abused for two years she's Hmm. like fuck this shit like something's gotta give yeah (laughs) and you know nothing was working out and so she just took the reins and was like i gotta do something and that's what she did and it, it worked and her family survived and she did really well and at the same time everybody else in the town was like holy shit this young ass girl can shoot a gun and like (laughs) she's selling all kinds of food and making a ton of money and like what's going on this is so random and like keep in mind at this time in the 1800s it was not at all normal for women to be hunters let alone Mm -hmm. operating guns but shooting was super super popular among men during this time period to the point that like it was an everyday like entertainment thing that they did with each other they'd go around and challenge each other to like shooting matches not like those old school like cowboy things where you like you know draw the gun and shoot and kill but like target (laughs) practice and stuff like that and so turned out Annie was really great at that but that just wasn't what chicks were doing in that time period and so in 1875 on Christmas or I'm sorry on in 1875 on Thanksgiving day the Bauman and Butler shooting act was performing in Cincinnati Ohio nearby where she lived and it was starring Frank E. Butler who had been traveling around the country challenging people to shooting competitions and he claimed that he could outshoot anybody in those towns (laughs) so he was very cocky he was very confident and when he showed up to ohio he placed a hundred dollar bet that he could beat any of their local shooters in the area and at this time one hundred dollars was equivalent to like twenty three hundred and that was of her mom's mortgage right (laughs) that's wild that's like no that her mom's mortgage was two hundred dollars this was two thousand three hundred Oh, wait, so but the prize was 100 bucks, right? Yeah, but well, it was 100 bucks, yes, but I yes, you're correct. I totally am not thinking. No, but I mean, so technically that's that's half of their that's house. Half of our mortgage, correct. And <laughs> that's then in insane. today's terms would have been 2,300, yeah, which yeah. I mean, I would be so stoked if I made $2,300 right now shooting a gun. (laughs) Dude, right? I'd be like, give it to me. I'll shoot at a bottle. It's fine. Yeah. So that was some good money. And um, you know, the funny thing is that the townspeople were like, sure, we got somebody to challenge you. And it was Annie. (laughs) (laughs) And so Frank showed up to his match not knowing who his opponent would be. And he was quoted to say, the last opponent I expected was a five foot tall, 15 year old girl named Annie. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, from a guy that travels around the country, you know, challenging men to shooting matches, this was the most shocking thing he'd experienced yet in his travels so he was totally caught off guard and was like yeah right but i mean obviously annie's annie and during the competition she shot all 25 of her shots and frank missed one making annie the winner so she beat his ass fair and square stole his money was like what now bitch and he was very impressed and he ended up courting her and they got married (laughs) 
He's like, you're hot. You can shoot stuff. <laughs> yeah. He was like, wow, if a girl finally beat me, that's my wife. Mm-hmm. And so they got married in June 20th of 1882. For the next six years, Annie traveled around with Frank and his shooting partner, John Graham, who the two of them used to do shows together and variety shows. And that was a thing until John, the partner, fell ill. And so Annie was asked to sort of step in and fill his shoes and she ended up being like the star of the show and the one time that she filled in for him and her <laughs> husband was basically like all right sorry john you're gonna have to find other work annie is taking over your job <laughs> she was the understudy and now she's the star sorry yeah sorry my bad my wife kicks ass good luck um so john got kicked to the curb and annie and frank worked together in these variety shows and performed. Um, And as I'm sure you probably know, variety shows were pretty scandalous back in the day. Mm. There was, like, a lot of different types of entertainment taking place during these performances, anywhere from, like, comedy acts to, like, strip teases to just, like, well, the shooting that, that Annie and Frank did, but also the crowd that was attracted to variety shows were typically like really wild drunk men so (laughs) it was like think of like you could go to like a classy bar in manhattan new york or you could go to like the cd dive bar and like hey ashbury san francisco like Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) and so they were kind of like you know in this seedy little dive bar performance area and annie was kind of thrown off guard she was still very young she was not used to this kind of a world of just like drunken men and like (laughs) everybody was banging each other out and it was just like wild like women were strip teasing and shit in the in the performances and so she was a little bit like holy shit what's going on i'm a quaker girl from a farm right and so in an effort to like maintain her identity she insisted on dressing in very conservative clothing she wore like super long catholic girl skirts long sleeves leggings that covered her entire body and it basically became her trademark no one sees my ankles (laughs) don't even look at them people liked it though they kind of felt like she was this like classic american girl and she was still very young looking she kind of like had an innocent vibe about her but she was very pretty and so her vibe was working Mm -hmm. and quickly frank her husband learned and figured out that annie was without a doubt the star of this show and in a shocking twist of role reversing in the late 1800s frank became annie's assistant yeah like talk about husband of the year yeah he's radical they're radical they're so rad and like especially i mean even today i bet there's few husbands i mean more today but like in the 1800s for him to sort of like step back from his own show and let his wife be the star while he was like running the managerial operations on the sidelines like that's very very um not the norm (laughs) Like, people probably clowned on him, but then he was like, uh, I'm going to throw dollar bills at you. <laughs> I'm rich. Like, 100%. Yeah. And I think um, he was also just super proud of her, which of course. goes back to when she beat him in the shooting match, and he was like, that's my bride. I think right? he really was super proud of how talented she was, and he didn't let it, like, deter his manly ego. He wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, insecure about it. He was like, fuck yeah, I'm going to, like, amp this girl up. I and mean, it's so, that thing where people are, like, hot. 
because they do the yeah, thing. And you're exactly. Like, they're definitely hot. <laughs> yeah, talented. totally. Um, and so Frank and Andy ended up, uh, I'm sorry, Frank and Annie ended up landing a 40 week job with one of the biggest traveling circuses in the, ca- the country, Sal's brother circus. And at this point in their life, they'd finally reached like steady work and it was like a clean family oriented show. So there was no more like boozing and one night stands and strip teasing and they were loving it. But the circus life was really hard and the pay was very unreliable. And so when the season came to an end in New Orleans, it just so happened that the Buffalo Bill Wild West show was starting in that same location. And so Annie and Frank reached out to see if they could join the show, but they were denied because the show had already had a sharpshooter. But then in some kind of twisted act of God, the (laughs) Buffalo Bill steamer sank on the Mississippi River and the sharpshooter lost all of his equipment in the sinking of the steamer. What? And ended up quitting the show. What? That's hilarious. I didn't read that. That's amazing. So Annie and Frank were offered the job because the That's Buffalo so funny. Bill lost a sharpshooter. When That's why they sank. left because their stuff got well wet. That's so funny. Yeah. Oh, That's so hilarious. That's great. I know. So it was like fate that she ended up getting on, on the Buffalo Bill Wild wow. West show. That's wild. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so she, again, like normal, became the star of the Buffalo Bill Wild West show and almost more famous than Buffalo Bill himself. She would shoot glass balls out of the air. She uh, shot through playing cards and she'd shoot cigarette- cigarettes out of her husband's mouth. And then <laughs> during one of her performances, a Native American chief named Sitting Bull who is well was like he was like a well-known war hero from mm-hmm. the Battle of the Little Bighorn. <laughs> yeah. S- saw Annie shooting during a show and he was blown away by her talent. So he sent her $65 to her hotel room in exchange for a signed autograph. Really? Annie, yeah. Amazing. So Annie of See, course I told didn't you. Accept I told it. you. I'm, I'm, I'm like I didn't know any of this. <laughs> So yeah, Annie got obviously the note and the money and she didn't accept it, but she sent him like a uh, a note back along with a signed autograph saying like meet me tomorrow, like I don't want your money. Aww. And so they ended up meeting up. They became super super close friends and he ended up like adopting her as his daughter. Mm. I don't know if it was like an actual legal adoption or more along the lines of like a Native American tradition where he kind of like took her under his wing as like yeah. his little daughter or whatever. But he gave her the name Watanya Cecilia, (laughs) which means little sure shot. And it was a nickname that would stick with her for the rest of her life. So super cute. I fucking love that. I'm like, how adorable is that? 1800s, a Native American chief, BFFs with this white girl who's like (laughs) a super good like shooter. And then he adopts her and gives her the sick name. Like... (laughs) Right, no, like, like the best. What a cool crew, you and this, like your husband and this cool like American Indian guy. You guys are just like cruising around. And it's like awesome. I love it. Like, yeah, so amazing. cool. So things kept going well for her. She ended up in Europe and she was performing for the Queen Victoria of the United Kingdom. She performed for King Umberto I of Italy, a bunch of other people. And then she apparently shot the ashes off of a cigarette that was held by the newly crowned German Kaiser Wilhelm II 
at his request. So (laughs) people were just loving her. They were like, oh my God, what can she do now? Like they were just like testing, you know, her talents, but she was perfect every time. She never missed a single shot. So she was in front of royals, kings, queens, and she was like literally just full-blown famous. So Annie and Frank stayed with the Buffalo Bill Wild West show for 16 years in total. And then in 1901, Annie was badly injured in a train accident, which ended up resulting in like a temporary paralysis. And she had five spinal operations. So it did not it didn't go well. Um, And then with that, she ended up leaving the Buffalo Bill show and decided to start looking into less strenuous career opportunities, which landed her in acting. And she ended up on a stage play, which was written especially for her. It was called The Western Girl, where she played a a character named Nancy Berry, who used a pistol, a rifle, and rope to outsmart outlaws. So right on board with Annie. Mm -hmm. And throughout her career, it's believed that Annie taught more than 15,000 women how to use a gun. She believed that it was crucial for women to learn how to use guns to defend themselves, but also just for mental and physical exercise. And she... (laughs) They're like, shoot this. I mean, I kind of believe that, though. Like, Like, the mental strength to, like... Yeah, Yeah. to, like, aim and think and, like, relax and, like, target practice. Like, that shit's hard. Or just, like, break glass. (laughs) Just, like, you want to break stuff. Here, shoot stuff. Like... Hell yeah. (laughs) And so she was quoted to say, I would like to see every woman know how to handle guns as naturally as they know how to handle babies. So (laughs) that, I mean, she was a gun-loving American. (laughs) Right? (laughs) I like babies and I like guns. (laughs) Okay. Um, so two years later, Annie found herself in like the weirdest legal battle ever. <laughs> it was reported in Chicago that she'd been arrested for stealing a man's trousers to sell them to buy cocaine. <laughs> like you do. Sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess a bunch of newspapers across the country were printing the story and just like sending it out like rapid fire, but it wasn't true. Annie had never done drugs in her life. She doesn't steal, especially not a man's trousers. And at the time that this was reported to have happened, her and her husband were living in New Jersey, so she was nowhere near Chicago when this crime took place. And then it ended up that the woman who was arrested was named Maud Fontanella, who had used the fake name Annie Oakley. And so Annie, like the real Annie, was pissed. She's like, fuck all these newspapers for trying to ruin my reputation. Like, you spread all this drama around the country about me that wasn't true. Um, And she was like, you're done. And so over the course of seven years, she successfully won 54 out of 55 of those cases. And landed herself over $20,000 from her winnings. So she was not fucking around. She's like, mess with me, bitch. Right? <laughs> I and dare then, you. <laughs> around the same time, World War One was starting, and Annie, you know, she had, she kind of retired her shooting career. She had been in movies, went through this lawsuit, so she was, like, chilling for a minute. And so she wrote to the Secretary of War, Henry L. Stimson, offering to fund and provide a group of sharpshooting women volunteers that could fight during the war. And she also offered to teach the soldiers how to accurately shoot their guns. (laughs) (laughs) 
They're like, you're bad at this. You guys want a lesson? Yeah. (laughs) And then, of course, they shot her down and didn't accept her offer, which, let me say, was her second time reaching out to the government to provide assistance for the war. The first time took back or took place a few years prior for the Spanish Spanish American War, and they denied her services for that, too. So she many times had reached out saying like, hey, I'm a really good fucking shot and I think I could help out, you know, whether it's training your people or bringing in some of my best shooters. And they were like, nah, bitch, we got it handled. So (laughs) and she's like, do you? (laughs) Yeah, right. So I think that kind of sucks because I feel like, you know, she genuinely wanted to like make a larger impact on her for her country, like on a larger scale than being like a famous girl that shot cigarettes out of people's mouths. (laughs) It's like, you know, I like I have a huge talent here and it's been proven for like generations at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like what, you know, even though I'm an entertainer, like I actually have something that could really benefit the country like, during a war, like the worst thing that could be happening right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and she even offered to fund all of it. And so kind of a bummer. They shot her down. I think if they hadn't, that would have been a really huge staple in her life, something she would have been really, really, really proud of. Hmm. Um, but I'm, I'm, I can't say I'm surprised they didn't accept her help. Oh, yeah. Um, Are you kidding? She's <laughs> yeah. like, I'll pay you to teach you. And they're like, a woman? No yeah. way. No way. Teach yeah. yourself? No way. Yeah. Exactly. So that's kind of a bummer. But, um, you know, it, it's the time period. I honestly, they probably wouldn't allow it today. But yeah. Yeah. In, ni- in 1912, Annie and Frank built a brick bungalow style home in Cambridge, Maryland, which is now known as the Annie Oakley House. And it was listed on the National Register of History Places in 1996. Um, she continued to set records well into her 60s. And she had planned to come back with intent to star in a... Uh, silent movie but unfortunately she experienced another car accident that resulted in an injury her health started to decline and sadly she passed away on november 3rd 1926 at the age of 66 and then it was rumored that frank was so heartbroken by her death that he stopped eating and died eight days later so that's sad it's like sweet but very sad it's sweet but it's so sad and then another rumor or claim that i had read is that annie was cremated and her ashes were put into one of her trophies that she'd won and then that trophy was placed with frank in a coffin and they were buried together on thanksgiving day in 1926 which thanksgiving day was the day they had met when she beat him in the shooting match oh yeah i forgot all about that man that's great i know so so talk about cutest couple that ever existed in all time (laughs) right um and then after her death it was discovered that her entire fortune had been spent on her family and her charities so she was a a true gem um and annie goes down in history as the most iconic female figure in shooting sports and also an advocate for women that were interested in learning sports that were particularly dominated dominated by men 
So she sort of paved the way for other women that wanted to do these male-dominated sports and showed them that not only is it possible, but you can actually be better than every man in this industry (laughs) and become like the queen of the crop just like I did. And to end on a quote, the sweetest quote, I love it. It's just so true in so many different perspectives, but it's quoted that Annie had said, aim at a high mark and you will hit it. No, not the first time, nor the second, and maybe not the third, but keep on aiming and keep on shooting for only practice will make you perfect. Finally, you will hit the bullseye of success. I love that. And that's her story. That was great. Man, (laughs) that was way better than ours. (laughs) That was excellent. I totally forgot about her being cremated and being buried with Frank. I totally forgot about that. Man, that's excellent. I read that and I didn't put that in our episode. (laughs) You know, the one thing that I can't figure out or never saw was like, I kind of assumed this, but I didn't see it written anywhere. I imagine that Frank was much older than Annie. Yeah, he was. Because she was, what, like 15 when she performed against him in that shooting match? Yeah, he was 13 years older than she was. Oh, he was 13? Okay, I didn't see that anywhere. He was was 13 years older. 13 years older. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, yeah, I didn't see that anywhere. So I I knew that he had to have been older, but I couldn't find out how much older. Um, So, yeah, actually, that's really surprising that she died before him. I know, right? Like, she, because... She was just constantly on the road. <laughs> like they're just like we don't ever want to stay home. <laughs> we'll try to, but we don't. <laughs> like yeah, it's wild. And also, I don't know if you read about her dog Dave. Did you? No. What? Well, what's her? What's with her dog Dave? I missed well, that. Uh, so, also, I love the name. <laughs> uh, they had a dog George. I mean, they, they their naming was like top notch. But they had a dog George earlier who just like cruised around with them. But Dave was later, and Dave. Um, she used to, when she was like exhibiting when they were older or she was older in like her forties and fifties, she would put an apple on Dave's head and like shoot it off. <gasps> Isn't that terrifying? Oh my God. But there's like photos of it and it's bananas, which Kina I'm just like, would be so pissed. Oh man. I mean, shoot at your husband's face all day, but like, <laughs> yeah, don't shoot at your dog. <laughs> like, it's fine. Like shoot at King's faces and right? like your husband's mouth. That's fine. But like your dog's head, come on. <laughs> Uh, it's wild. That's wild crazy. Stuff. Also, just the fact that people trust her enough to let her shoot directly at their faces—they like wanted it. They're like, "Do it! I want you to, please." What would happen if she missed? Uh, I know. What if that ten percent? <laughs> There's ten percent chance they'll hit your face. Like, fuck. like that's insane. Um, but I think insane. one of the coolest things about Annie, like, she had such a rough go from the oh, beginning. Dude, like yeah. her life sucked like it was the epitome of like everything you don't want to experience during the 1800s she went through and like i mean even more like it wasn't just the poverty it was like oh great now i'm just gonna get abused while i'm working trying to like make money a dime a week to like help my family out but i i think that like those experience like i had read this actually or i i had seen it i watched a couple different pbs like little biographies about her and these historians had noted that like you know the trauma that she endured as a child like 
she felt a lot of shame for that throughout mm-hmm. her life and she almost used that kind of like shame to like fuel this this competitive like i will stop at nothing sort of urge that she had that led her mm. to such great success and that you know she she promised herself that she would never end up in that situation again she'd never let her family end up in that situation again and it's almost like it fueled this fire of like i will fight and i will make money and i will be successful and like that's the only option because i won't go back to what i experienced in my early life you're so right i mean also like she would um like when they had that cambridge house and then they were on tour. They like rented that house out because they're just like, well, let's make some money on the house. Or she would like do shooting engagements on the side to make money when she was like with Buffalo Bill. It's like, dude, mm-hmm. you're the you make the most other than the owner of yeah, the, sh- she the show. Made the most money out of anybody on the Buffalo Bill. <laughs> yeah, it's but she's like, well, I'm going to do some competitions on the side just because I want to supplement my income because I never want to be poor ever again in my whole life ever ever. Uh, yeah, but then she would just constantly give it away to charity. So. Which is amazing, but mm-hmm. she just was constantly wanting to and making money uh, for what for exactly what you're saying. Like she was just like, I'm never going to be in that place again. I never want to be in that place where I'm destitute and I have no options. Yep, it's nuts. It's so, nuts. do you think that she ever crossed paths with Zazzle? I feel like. I feel like I want to say yes. Um, maybe they did actually because they were on the East Coast. Because initially I was going to say no because Buffalo Bill's such a, a West Coast thing, but that's not true because it's just Western. Um, mm-hmm. So maybe so, you know, because well, Zazzle also, was over there for a while. Well, and I imagine that, like, obviously Zazzle was extremely well known and famous, and mm-hmm. you know Annie was extremely well known and famous. So even if they didn't meet, they had to have known of each other. Like they definitely knew of each other. And I, if we wrote a movie about it, they would definitely <laughs> be at a party together and right? talk. Yes, yes. If oh there was a circus God. movie with ladies and there was like a big party, I picture them being like, "Hey, I admire you." Hello. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With their cocktails in hand. Yeah, but like. Annie wouldn't be drinking, and no. Zazzle maybe would be. <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, but, yeah, I I feel like in my brain, I'm, like, picturing a very, like, Gatsby kind of situation, oh, even totally. though that's not time appropriate, but it's fine. Truly, like, the 1850s to the 1900s is, like, there's a, a lot of big, like, well-known circus names that I'm sure qu- cross paths or I'd, at the very least knew about each other. Um, and those two women, I, I would love to think that they were friends, right. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> oh but they're like, God. you're rad and I'm rad. Let's write letters to each other. <laughs> right. Oh, that would be a dream. Oh, oh well, so fun. That, that was, was such... amazing. Man, right? you told me stuff where I was like, I totally didn't know that. That's incredible. And I just love that her and Annie were just killing the game in the 1800s Dude. together, yeah. side by side, across the ocean. Like, right, how cool right? is that? Well, and also, like, God, to be, to be like a female performer at the time, you have to be so, I would imagine, be so brazen and so, like... Uh, but clearly they there's no like safety regulations <laughs> so you no. have to be like your own advocate all the time mm-hmm. um 
And granted, like with Annie Oakley, like she's shooting at people, but she still has to like create a safe environment for herself. Mm -hmm. And same with Zazzle. It's like, and you have to like ask, you have to ask for what you need and like how terrifying in that time to be like, can I get money though? (laughs) Like, and they're just like, no. Or like, can I... Uh, have a safe like can my net not have holes in it no okay cool Uh, like it's just it's so it's nuts and just like for both of them to be so successful Mm -hmm. is amazing to me and also just be such um female advocates along with that you know and role models is i mean fuck we're talking about them like almost 200 years later it's insane so yeah yeah, they're totally like they're some they're like the kickstart of rad rad girls in the world. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they are. They really are. It's like you can do all all the things. You can do mm-hmm. everything, and so and cool. switch careers whenever you want. <laughs> like it's fine. Yep, um, it's pretty cool. They're great. Well, thank you so much for bringing of Zazzle course. to the show and also fantastic research on her. It was such an incredible story, and I'm so happy that I got to have a circus theme on my podcast. Yay, <laughs> anytime. So anytime I have, I have so many ladies. Hell yeah, it's so oh. cool. I absolutely loved it. And for anybody listening, don't forget, check out Circus Stories they're live they're on apple podcasts they're probably on all the streaming platforms check them out yeah you guys can find us on instagram we're at circus.stories and we're like melissa said we're on all of like the streaming platforms and um check us out it's a fun circus history podcast and we're very silly (laughs) be sure to tune in subscribe rate and review same with my show um and other than that we will see you next week we will be back with another everyday woman segment i have a really awesome girl lined up for our next episode she has an incredible message that will probably resonate with women around the world and i can't wait for you to hear her story and learn from her experiences because it's truly remarkable um and other than that thank you for listening obviously um tune in next week tell all your friends check out the website follow me on instagram all of the stuff all the plugs and um keep drinking wine and empowering women bye